we go through a very basic um, DNA extraction just using, we ask the students to spit in a tube, we, we add soap, salt, and alcohol just to be able to um, extract DNA. This is Genetic Jackpot. I'm Shannon Halligan. And I'm Nick Sloan. And so today's podcast is uh, partially an episode that we had recorded, um, but the issue with that was one of our headlines that we discussed then was uh, about the arrest of the so-called Golden State Killer. But since it was such a developing story, situation, we wanted um, to discuss it a little bit more. And uh, so that case involved so much of what we had discussed about on this podcast. So we decided to record a podcast solely on the Golden State Killer, and that was the episode right before this. So if you haven't listened to it, I think it's really interesting. Nick spoke to a retired FBI special agent, Michael Tadman, about this case and what the FBI can do in these situations. And, of course, this case keeps, seems to keep on going with new information and several different legal implications that we'll discuss a little bit today. And also, um, on a previous episode, I also revealed what I discovered when I did my own DNA test, and I'll get into uh, more of what happened after our interview. And so first off, Nick, you spoke to the Assistant Director of Grad Services at the University of Kansas about DNA Day, which was timely at the time that we recorded it, but I still think it's interesting about what they're doing to get kids uh, especially interested in the world of DNA. Um, but, you know, so real fast, I just want to go back to the Golden State Killer and some of the changes that we've seen so far. And so, Nick, what have you found particularly interesting? Obviously, a couple notes here. The As we touched on in the conclusion of our last episode, there's growing support for DNA database, even in Cal, especially in California, uh, Cal, excuse me, excuse me, uh, California, where this arrest was made. A lot of advocates out there are wanting to expand the database. California has been like a ground zero for the debate over a database. And because of a law passed a few years ago, some residents were knocked off, not residents, but some felons were knocked off the list. And there's there's debate about whether or not that should, should be expanded. So that's going. And to go with that, um, the database that you're talking about, some of the issues with that, though, it's it's that there are minor crimes involved as well, yeah. right? It's that people Absolutely. feel like this, this database shouldn't contain information about people who are not, you know, felons and where right. the line is yeah. drawn for that. Absolutely. And that's that's a that's a big deal as well. It's not just this database doesn't just wouldn't just include violent criminals that I think most everybody would agree that, hey, it, it might be a you know good idea to keep track of this, but yeah, you are correct. This is the, the expansive database in California. That's where it's really – that's a really hot topic out there. And, as, you know, as I pointed out, this is not your opinion. You know, I'm not sharing what you you might believe, what I might believe. But anytime you have a high-profile arrest like this, and if it ends up being the case, this is certainly going to be used as a kind of a – kind of a big piece of red meat in order to try to expand database databases, not just in California, but nationwide. And that could be even more true if this this technique leads in the in the arrest of other serial killers, which we'll get into here in a little bit. Yeah, and, and what I found really interesting was the fact that, you know, in the on the last episode we talked about how this was a public database, how people, um, myself included, you have to 
download your raw DNA from, you know, whatever site that you tested it from, and then you can input it in this uh, GEDmatch, which is the it's a free database where it can connect you to people who have done DNA testing with different companies, and people have their family trees on there. So, you, can, you know, I use it for building out my family tree, um, but a lot of the time it is, you know, distant relatives once again. But a lot of the... the talk was that, um, you know, these private companies like 23andMe and Ancestry and things like that said that they were not involved in the case and that they uh, wouldn't give up people's private information. But now, you know, BuzzFeed News is reporting um, that prior to getting that this big break in the public database that they used um, a subpoena to force a DNA a testing company to reveal the identity of one of its customers. Once again, this is what we've been talking about, this growing debate over the balance between law enforcement and then, of course, your privacy, which is something so personal like uh, genetic privacy. But so what happened was Family Tree DNA told BuzzFeed News that its parent company, Gene by Gene, received a federal subpoena from the Eastern District of California in March of 2017, asking for limited information about a single customer account. And this is from uh, BuzzFeed. And the company said that it didn't know if the request was related to the search for the Golden State Killer, but that Paul Holes, who's a retired investigator uh, with the county district attorney's office, who led the team uh, that eventually uh, arrested D'Angelo, confirmed to BuzzFeed News that they sent the subpoena to find out the name of the person tied to a particular profile in Family Tree DNA's database. So, I mean, that's another revelation that is is interesting that, you know, they've obviously have been using different means to try and track down this person, but this whole subpoena is a, you know, tricky situation that, once again, has a lot of people divided. Yeah, absolutely. And as as DNA testing grows and as these uh, sites grow, it's going to be interesting to see. There's not a ton of legal precedent on this, which you know you had mentioned. We had mentioned this earlier that the there was an effort by the defense team of the Golden, the accused Golden State Killer, to stop the collection of DNA for him. Uh, and their argument was that it wasn't the warrant wasn't quote proper and things like that. But there's a lot of there's a lot of precedent that allowed the judge to say, no, we're going to collect your evidence. In this case, in these cases, though, when it comes to a private company and DNA, there's still a lot of gray, blurry lines there in terms of prior legal precedent. And so, right, you know, right now, this is, this is, this can be ongoing. This is going to set the precedent for years and years down the road. So this is, this is going to be a fascinating legal battle and legal debate and privacy debate over the next few years. Yeah, because, you know, your DNA, your Genetic makeup is something that's so, I mean, it's you. It's what make, makes up you. And so I think that that obviously makes people weary and a, a little nervous yeah. about having that information and it's an, out there. It's an, it's an emotional topic, too. You mentioned the health thing, but as you, as there's nobody who knows this more than you, it's an emotional topic because it can help you find family history. It can help you, re, you know, put the puzzle pieces to your life together, not just with health, but, you know, if you have a, you know, if you, if you didn't, you know, for, in my case, I didn't know my father's history that much. If you wanted to be interested in that, you could, you know, I could I could look that up. I could use this as a tool, but if, 
if it becomes too much of a legal issue, if privacy is, is exploited, that could push someone like me away from it. And I don't know if it. I don't know if this would have. Ha- if this happened before what you did, I don't know if it would have pushed you against it one way or another. But it's uh, it could discourage people who just want to who just want to find out about their lives, and that that would be unfortunate. Yeah, and I think a lot of people who are on the fence are, uh, you know, definitely shying away from it still until some of these privacy concerns are addressed. And so I think it'll be kind of like you know, several other cases where we've seen with private companies changing their privacy uh, settings and things like that to to let the customer know that they are protected. Um, So, yeah, we'll see. We'll see what happens. Um, And speaking of we'll see, I won't, won't, I'm sorry about that. I won't touch on this long, but another, another angle that can make this even more fascinating is just because I teased it a little, little bit early, I don't want to leave the listeners hanging, but after the Golden State Killer suspect was arrested, there was a new push to potentially find the Zodiac Killer out in California. And the Zodiac Killer is well known. He at least five confirmed deaths, and it's believed that he may be responsible for at least 20. There's always been a great debate about how many he may have been responsible for. But now the Vallejo Police Department's actually sent a DNA sample, potential DNA sample, to a private company. And again, if Let's say let's say we find out something about the Zodiac killer that we did not previously know. It would just it would just add a little even more, you know, meat or fuel to the fire in this whole debate. So that's something else to keep an eye on as well. Yeah, and um, thing. And so my headline isn't necessarily a news headline, but it's something that has been in the news. So, um, but it's about the new movie Rampage, which is starring Dwayne the Rock Johnson. And, Nick, you know, I partly bring this up because I'm also in the movie, shameless self-promotion <laughs> over here, but um, I actually am very, very extremely minimal part, but I played a news reporter in Chicago reporting on the destruction. But um, my point is that this movie is about genetically mutated animals, so the Wikipedia description, a uh, very official source, but <laughs> says in part, you know, Athena One, a research space station owned by gene manipulation company Energine, is destroyed after a laboratory rat mutates and wreaks havoc. And a crew member is ordered to retrieve the research canisters containing a pathogen. So basically, those uh, the, that canister is, falls down onto Earth. And then uh, primatologist Davis Okoye, played by The Rock, a former U.S. Army Special Forces soldier and member of the anti-poaching unit works at a San Diego wildlife reserve. And so he's got this uh, rare albino gorilla named George, who's his friend, and uh, who he saved from poachers. And so George, of course, is exposed to the pathogen. And uh, when he checks out one of the canisters that crash-landed in habitat. So George, of course, grows larger and aggressive overnight. And Right. They're contacted by this doctor who's a genetic engineer and who explains that the pathogen was developed by Energine to rewrite genes on a massive scale. And she had hoped to advance CRISPR research as a potential cure for disease, but discovered that Energine planned to use it as a biological weapon. And so, you know, I'm not going to give away the whole movie, but I thought I'd give it a plug. And, you know, it was fun being able to see some of the behind the scenes when they were making this movie last summer, and although a lot of it done is 
is done with CGI. I I still got a trailer, which was pretty cool. And <laughs> um, you know, this once again though shows how much gene editing and the potential advances are and have been all around us. And hey, if it gets people interested in DNA and genetics, that's even better, right, Nick? Absolutely, absolutely, and that's a that's a great point as we lead into our guest. Uh, again, we're, we speak, we're going to speak with Lynn Villavorte from the University of Kansas. She's involved with Kansas DNA Day, an effort to have some of her students at the University of Kansas travel across the state of Kansas. Lynn talks about her passion about educating students and the role her students plays played in helping increase awareness of uh, high school students in Kansas. Essentially, for the most basic ones, for example, the genomic inheritance, we just have a PowerPoint presentation where we talk about DNA, the structure itself, a little bit of the history of why we do National DNA Day, um, and it typically happens in April, certainly, because um, the it commemorates the completion of the Human Genome Project in 2003. Incidentally, the discovery or the publication of um, the discovery of the DNA double helix by um, Watson and Crick, in, in addition to Rosa and Franklin, in 1953, was also in April. So I guess it's one of those um, time that April seems to be a perfect uh, moment to launch or to have DNA Day events. But anyways, so going back to the module, so for example, we have the module on genomic inheritance where we talk about the differences or variations in um, humans um, depending on um, the level. If we're talking to freshmen, we can introduce that to them. If we're talking to um, upper-level students, we can certainly modify our presentation to be able to deliver the information they need. But more importantly, as part and parcel of that presentation is that every uh, ambassador, we call our, our grad students and undergrad um, Kansas DNA Day ambassador, every ambassador gets an opportunity to share their research and essentially um, encourage um, all these high school students that um, a research or a science career, something that they could do, and, and that scientists can come in all forms, shapes, and manner, and ages as well. So um, as part of that presentation, again, for genomic inheritance, we, we go through a very basic um, DNA extraction. Just using, we ask the students to spit in a tube. We we add soap, salt, and alcohol just to be able to um, extract DNA. And I think the kids love it. They it is something that they could see. Um, there's a product, so they could see their they can isolate their own DNA. It may not look much. Everything just looks the same for everyone else. But we we go through um, all the. Um, application for, for DNA, um, the differences, the diseases. So depending on the module, so um, it varies. We allow our our teachers to request what type of module they want our ambassadors to present. So we have a whole range of modules. Again, from chance we have something on immunology. And one of the things that's quite unique for Kansas DNA Day is that we have a module on biogeography, uh, which is uh, using DNA to trace 
phylogenetic structures or div uh, of of um, organisms. And this particular module was actually developed by uh, our grad students, Pichi, who use a lot of DNA sequences to look at relationship, evolutionary relationships of of populations and species. So that's one um, module that's, I believe, quite unique with Kansas DNA Day. But across all of the DNA Day across the country, there are a lot of modules available out there and a lot of activities that are associated with um, the classroom visits. Do you think people are becoming more aware of DNA? Because obviously it impacts all of us. But do you think people yeah. are becoming more aware of that? Yes, I believe so. And advances in DNA technology is is um, skyrocketing. There's a lot of, uh, I think the most recent one, is CRISPR and, and uh, a gene editing um, technique. So a lot of people are um, very much aware of it. And it may not be on a very scientific sense that they're interested in doing research, but you have to imagine that there is an increasing number of um, um, ancestry kits where you have to, um, like 23andMe or Genome.2, where you can get a sample of your DNA and trace your ancestry. So that's becoming more popular for the public. So from that perspective, I think um, a lot of individuals who would not necessarily think of DNA as something that would be applicable to their lives are actually getting on board. Just in case if our listener, listeners are interested, is there any way that they can help out, whether it's in Kansas or National DNA Day? Is there anything that they can do to make your journey so, and your students' journey yeah. a lot easier? They can look up Kansas DNA Day, and all our contact information will be there. And hopefully we can reach out to a bigger – we're trying to spread. Uh, we're trying to reach more classrooms. Um and hopefully at some point we can reach, we can increase our numbers. Uh, last, in the past couple of years, we've um, impacted over a thousand high school students and we are in also increasing that number as, as we keep our annual event going. And, you know, Lynn says the best thing you can do to help is to just talk about DNA with a lot of people and that's what, hopefully, hopefully we're helping the cause. Right, and to link back to people if they haven't listened to a second episode uh, on our podcast, but uh, that we talked to researchers who worked on the Human Genome Project, which National DNA Day commemorates the successful completion of the Human Genome Project in 2003, and so you know I think. That just uh, ties everything in that, you know, we're talking about it, they're talking about it. It's all great, right? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, and also, you know, so talking about uh, DNA, the last episode, um, I revealed what I considered the rather shocking discovery that I had a half-brother and, you know, this is surprising for me because I went my whole life thinking that I was an only child and that I'd always be one. My dad passed away in 1996. And I had a million things going through my mind when I pulled up the DNA relative and it said, you know, this is your half-brother. You know, 
I thought maybe the DNA test was wrong or maybe it's just a cousin who got a lot of the same genes. But, you know, and then I realized that with sharing 20% of the same DNA, you know, um, mathematically that was not right. And so it was more, it was either, you know, like a, a grandfather, grandparent, or an aunt or uncle or a half-sibling shares about, you know, 20, 25% of your DNA. So, you know, and then I was like, so who is this person? If he's my brother, did other people know? Was I just totally left in the dark? Was, you know, not, I don't even know. And, um, so what did I do? I sent him a message on the website, and it said, hi, Matthew. It looks like we might be related because, I mean, what else do you say in, in that situation? You know, I sat there and I'm staring at the screen with all with all these thoughts going all over the place and I'm waiting and I'm waiting and I'm waiting. Don't hear anything back. Because you think like, you know, oh, you get this message. Look, I found a relative. Like, let me respond back. So what does any reporter do? And uh, they didn't respond after approximately three minutes. I start researching. And I know two things about him. His first and last name, and then I also had the year, 1982, and so that was actually pretty helpful in my research. Um, and so, so that also showed me that he was six years older than me, which, you know, a lot can happen in a young adult's life from the time that this Matthew was born and the time that my parents got married and then eventually had me. And so I should note that in order to find a relative in the system, of course, that other person would have had to, to have done the DNA test as well from that same company. And so then the questions really started to spiral and, you know, went all over the place. And the first place I checked for Matt was on Facebook, and then I Googled him, and then I started narrowing down the prospects of, you know, who this person could be. And there were a few name matches on Facebook, and then I tried to see if they looked like my dad at all. Uh, and a few kind of sort of resembled him. And then I, you know, tried to determine based on geographical relation to me. I was born in Illinois, but my dad grew up in New Jersey, and then he had family in Florida. And so at this time, I'd been searching for a few hours and still no response to the message that I sent. And so then I started thinking, like, is he avoiding me? But then I thought, you know, why would you go on and have your DNA tested? And then... And then I thought, you know, that's not fair. I deserve a right to know, too, right? And Absolutely. Anyway, after Absolutely. about seven hours, my husband thinks I'm leaving it because I have, you know, all of these questions, and I'm getting really anxious and uh, wondering why he's not responding back. <laughs> um, and then, you know, I finally think that I have it narrowed down to the right person, and I find an email address. And so I send him an email, and I ask him, if he did the DNA test, if he could please check his messages. But if he didn't do one, if he could just let me know, and then I'll go, go away. And then I waited some more. Did I get anything back? Did I get a response back? I'll have to save that for next time. This is Genetic Jackpot.